with me to Exodus chapter 29. Right on, let's pray as we come to God's word today. Father, we just thank you that we can, uh, we can gather to worship you this morning, draw near to you because, because of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God that's living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And I pray this morning, Lord, that it would pierce our hearts. I ask God just that your spirit would anoint this time, Lord, that you'd speak to us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd strengthen us, Lord, that, that we would see our relationship with you in, in new light this morning and just that your, your blessing would be upon our time here together in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on, so we're in Exodus chapter 29. Uh, if you're here visiting or maybe here for the first time, uh, we've been going through this series of Exodus quite a while now, since last spring. We're going to probably, may, possibly wrap it up before Christmas because we're going to move quite quickly through the end of the book here. Um, but this morning, just look at chapter 29. This will be the last time that we go through one chapter in a Sunday. And um, we'll be biting off bigger chunks, but that's uh, the story of the people of God being led out of slavery in the land of Egypt and led to Mount Sinai where Moses has been called up the mountain. He's been up on top of the mountain having these revelations from God. God has been establishing for him a, uh, a priesthood, a dwelling place where God's presence would dwell and giving Moses instructions about regarding those things. And now, uh, last week, we, we talked about the garments that the priest was going to wear. Really powerful pictures about Jesus Christ and his love for us. And this morning, we're going to look at the consecration of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood, okay? And so, after the, the clothing has been described in Exodus chapter 28, we read in verse 1 of chapter 29, it says this. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Now the word consecrate, it, sim it simply means this, to dedicate it or to ordain in a formal sense for a divine purpose. It, um, Ivan, can I get you to turn me down just a little bit? I don't like my voice that much. Blowing myself away here. Cool. It means to just or ordain in a formal sense for a divine purpose. So these men were going to be, be taken and installed into the priesthood. And we talked about this last week, the direction of their ministry as priests. That their ministry was unto the Lord. That they would serve him. And as we begin to launch into this text, you know, it's important that we should never forget that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that we have all been made priests. Peter said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The apostle Paul talked a little bit about this in 1 first, in first Timothy chapter 1 as he was writing to his son in the faith. He talked about uh, the joy that he personally had um, as he thanked God that he got to be included in getting to do the work of the ministry on God's behalf. And, and Peter said, we're, we're all priests. We're all ministers. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, he said to them, you didn't choose me. 
I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And, and so there's this sense here that we understand from the New Testament that we are all called into ministry. We are all called to serve. We make a terrible mistake when we only consider ministry to be something that a professional paid person does. It doesn't matter how you make your living. You know, you could be a school teacher. You can be a house sound pulp and paper worker, construction worker. You can work for the town of Gibsons, whatever it is. You've been called to serve God. You've been called into the ministry. You are in the ministry. And I might ask you this morning, do you feel prepared for the ministry? And, and I, probably, I see heads going like this. I don't feel prepared to serve God in ministry. Well, this is where Exodus is 29 is, I think, a super powerful passage for us this morning because it walks us through the ceremonial stuff that happened to Aaron and his sons as they were consecrated to serve the Lord. And I guess the beauty of this text is this, is that we, if we also have been called to serve the Lord in the ministry, if we are called royal, pri- uh, royal priests, then we should be able to identify the things that we see happening to Aaron that they've happened to us as well. And so this morning we're going to see just that consecration for a believer, consecration for Aaron as he was put into the priesthood was not something that he did for himself. It was something that was done to him. And the same is true for us. Our consecration unto God and unto the work of God is not not something that I do. It's something that has been done for me based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. As Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And so just as we begin to dive into this this morning, I want you to take note that that as we go through this, uh, and I'm going to constantly point this out, that Aaron was consecrated, and as he was consecrated, he didn't do anything. Everything was done for him, and he was prepared for the ministry. And so too with us, our consecration into the ministry, our consecration into the service of the king of kings, royal priests, and as his ministers, all of us, It's not something that we have done or taken on ourselves. It's on the basis of what Christ has done for us. Look at verse 1. It continues. It says this. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour, you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. So just a couple things point out here as we begin to look at this. Two things are involved in this consecration. The the first is this. The ceremony of consecration required a sacrifice. And so animals were gathered, a bull and two rams. Three animals in total are going to be sacrificed. and And I would say this, consecration cannot happen without the shedding of blood. The second thing that's brought in this uh, ceremony as they're gathering everything is bread. They collect a bunch of different breads here, cake and bread and wafers. And, and bread in the scripture, of course, is a picture of Christ, but it's a picture of fellowship with God. Because true consecration can't happen unless you're having fellowship with God. So we got animals for sacrifice. We got bread for fellowship. Verse 4. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. The King James Version says this. 
You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the entrance of the tent of meeting. When we uh, did our study on the tabernacle just like about a month ago or whatever, we saw and discussed the different points of entrance into the tabernacle and we saw this similar theme that every single entrance into the tabernacle pointed us to Jesus Christ. Because he is the door. Aaron and the boys were brought to the door. And you think about it, so were you and I. We were brought to the door. By the Spirit of God, someone led us to Jesus, who is the entrance into eternal life. For me, you know, when I was a little kid, my mom brought me to Jesus. Maybe someone brought you to church. Maybe a neighbor told you about Jesus. Maybe a Sunday school teacher taught you about salvation or a coworker shared with you Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your parent. But someone brought you to the door. And so Aaron is brought to the door. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. I am the door and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and he will find pasture. Peter said, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He is the entrance to coming to God. And so Aaron is first brought to the door and verse four continues and it says, and wash them with water. Titus said, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. The washing of rebirth. See, Aaron and his, and his sons didn't wash themselves. Do you notice that? They come and they were washed by someone else. And this speaks of, you know, baptism. We say in baptism, you know, all our sins are, are washed away. In the waters of regeneration, the old man is buried and the new man is raised to life in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ washed me. When I was brought to the door, Jesus, and I was going to enter in salvation, he washed me in regeneration and he cleansed me of my sins. Verse 5 says, Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece, all these things that we talked about last week, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod and you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And so Aaron's brought to the door of salvation. He's washed in the waters of baptism and he's dressed in robes that he did not make. He's put into robes that he himself did not put on, but someone else put them on him. Did you see that as this happened? He just stood there and he was dressed. What a great picture of salvation. Christ was put on us, the New Testament says. Jesus clothed you in righteousness. He washed you of his sins and he wrapped you in the robes of his own righteousness. Verse 7. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Again, as Aaron's consecrated for the work of the ministry, he didn't anoint himself. He just stood there and anointing oil was poured over him. I just wonder what that, what that looked like, the oil on his head and the fragrance that went out off his life as the oil was poured over him. And you know, it's God who established us in Jesus Christ. And he has anointed us with his Holy Spirit. 
And so we see that the consecration that happens for Aaron and our consecration as well is not what we do for ourselves, but it's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. You know, so many times I, growing up and just in life, you know, I experience this or watch my friends do this or seen it in churches, you know, where you, you go to church service, you go to youth convention, you go to camp meetings, you know, you respond to the altar call, maybe even in my own quiet times, and I've made promises to God. I'm going to do big things for you, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then sadly, you know, I just never do a very good job at making good on the promises that I make to God. Is that reality true for you? I'm sure it is. You know, I've thought so often, if I could just consecrate myself to God, then, then he could work through my life in this way or in that way. But we see here that consecration is not about what we bring to God. Consecration is about coming to God with empty hands. You know, confessing weakness. So I, uh, I want more of you, we sang this morning. Set a fire down in my soul. It, it's letting God do the work. You know, if we, if we went through the Old Testament and we just perused the pages of the Old Testament and went through the list of our Bible heroes, we'd notice that they never came to God on the basis of what they could do for God. They never came to God on the basis of who they were or what they promised God they could do for him. You think about David when he was committed into battle with Goliath, that great giant of the Philistines, their, their warrior who was uh, verbally assaulting the people of God and, and challenging them. When David committed to that battle, what did he have to battle the giant? He had no armor. He had no spear. He had no sword. He had a sling, but he didn't even have stones yet when he was committed to the battle. All he knew was this. God saved me before and God will save me again, so I'm going to do it. What a great thought. What an act of faith. God saved me before and I trust him to do it again, so I'm just going to step in and I'm going to confront what's in front of me here. And then God filled his hands with five smooth stones from a little brook. It only took one to kill the giant. And see, our consecration isn't about what we can bring to the table because there's nothing I can bring to the table that God doesn't already have at his disposal. He has everything. It's not about what I can uh, bring him. My, my consecration is about learning to come to him with empty hands and say, God, I have nothing, but I'm here and I'm asking you to fill my hands. Verse 8 says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priest shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Now just as Aaron was given priestly garments, so were his sons. They were given to the sons just simply uh, due to their relationship with the high priest. Now Jesus is our high priest, right? And the same is true for us. We are robed in the garments of salvation. We are robed in righteousness and we receive that simply as a free gift from Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, 
Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar and you shall take all of the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys, all these details, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So this is the first of three sacrifices that are going to take place in this act of consecration. The sacrifice of the bull. And this is the first time that Aaron is required in this whole thing to do anything himself. Aaron and his sons were to take their hands and they were to place their hand on the head of the bull. In, in the Hebrew, it's this, that they're to press firmly into the head of this animal. And in doing so, what they were doing was they were identifying themselves with the animal that was to be sacrificed. We do the same with Jesus. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgression. That animal was about to die in Aaron's place as a sacrifice for his sin. The Bible says of Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And so for Aaron and his sons, this was a sin offering to it. Blood was going to be shed for the atonement of their sin, to cover their sin. And when we recognize that there's sin, we have to recognize this, that it takes nothing less than shed blood for the cleansing of sin. It takes nothing less than the shedding of blood for the atonement of sin. And so the first animal is offered for Aaron and for his sins. Verse 15 says, Then ye shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their, head, their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And so after the first offering, which is a sin offering, they offered this second offering. Again, Aaron is called to identify with this animal and its death, that its blood was being shed for him. He was to press his hand firmly on the animal's head, and it was to be uh, sacrificed for him. And it was to be a burnt offering. And a burnt offering is, a, is, a, is an offering that says this. It's, it's like, it's saying, God, I failed to give you my best. I failed to give you my all. And now this animal will atone for that failure. And we're going to decide to give you our all as this animal dies in our place. Man, I, I failed to give God my all. I don't know about you. I failed to give him my best. The burnt offering is that offering that acknowledges that. Verse 19 says, you shall take the other ram, now the third animal, 
And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his son and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. So now we have here the third time that Aaron's, something is required of Aaron and once again, it's to identify with the animal that is being sacrificed on his behalf. Put your hand on its head and identify with it in its death. The first was a sin offering. The second offering was a, a burnt offering. And later in these verses, it tells us that this is an offering of ordination, consecration, saying that these men are set apart unto uh, God. And some of the blood was taken, and this weird thing happens. Some's applied to the lobe of the right ear, to the thumb of the right hand. I can't show you my big toe, but to the, the big toe on the right foot. It seems kind of weird. What, what's the picture here? It's this. You know, often my ears have heard things that they should have never listened to. Our hands have done things that they shouldn't have been involved in. My feet have walked to places where they never should have gone to. And so blood is applied to the ear. Blood is applied to the thumb. Blood is applied to the big toe to signify that what they have heard, that what they have done and where they have walked have been cleansed and atoned for by the blood that was shed for them. It's forgiven. It's under the blood. What a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ, isn't that? And you think of what you're so thankful that my sins have been removed and my Savior doesn't, as far as the east is to the west, I wish my memory was that good. My ears have heard things they shouldn't hurt. My hands have partake, my, my feet have gone places. But under the blood of Jesus. And so, besides laying their hands on each of these three sacrifices, these men, Aaron and his sons, have not had to do anything but identify with the sacrifice. Everything else to consecrate them has been done for them. They just submissively receive the work that was done on their behalf. You know, and we have this tendency to think, you know, I better do this. I got to do that for the Lord. I, I better go this way. I better do that. But we see that on this in this story that it's not what you do that matters. What matters is what Jesus Christ has done for us. What matters is that you identify yourself with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you on the cross as he shed his blood for you. Verse 21 says, Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and the sons and his sons and the garments with him and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Look, God says this, now, this, the blood has been shed for sin. The blood has been shed for your failure to give me everything. The blood has been shed for what you've heard and what you've done and where you've walked. The blood has been shed. Now take some of the blood and mix in with it oil. And then you're to take that mixture of oil and blood and you're to sprinkle it on these priests. Sprinkle it on these men and sprinkle it on their garments. There was this, so this mixture of of the blood of the sacrifice and the anointing oil. 
And it's a great picture for us, right? The work of the cross and the anointing of the Holy Spirit was put on their lives and it's put on our lives as well. Spurgeon said this, we need to know the double anointing. I like that. He said, the blood of Jesus which cleanses and the oil of the Holy Spirit which perfumes. It's well, it's well to see how these two blend in one. It's a terrible blunder to set the blood and the oil in opposition. They must always go together. The shed blood of Jesus Christ for the sacrifice of our sin, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. You shall also take the fat. We're going to read through here a bit, big chunk. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all of these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his son, sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take from them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved that is waved, and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the realm of ordination from what was Aaron and his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel for its contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel from their peace offerings and their contribution, their contribution to the Lord. Now up to this point, Aaron and his sons have had empty hands. I imagine them standing there with their hands. They press their hand on each of these sacrifices. Blood's applied to the thumb. But besides that, they're standing there with empty hands. And the amazing thing that, that comes is this. That even when it's the offering that Aaron is to bring to the Lord, it's placed in his hands. God even gives him the offering that he's supposed to bring to the Lord. He comes with nothing. He comes with nothing. It's placed in his hands, the empty hands, and he's to wave this offering before the Lord as he presents it to the Lord. Here's my offering, Lord. The best part of the, the second ram was taken along with bread and some wafers and it was placed in his, in his hands and he waved it before the Lord as this act of presentation. It's just this great picture that Aaron was both prepared by the Lord and then provided for by the Lord. Jesus said this. He told his disciples, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. What a great promise. I mean, how many times have you found yourself in places where Maybe you're in a conversation, you get talking about the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to give you things to share. You think, man, I'm no good at sharing the gospel. How am I going to do this? And out it comes and the gospel comes and the Lord helps you. You know, it's been said that preparing to minister is not nearly as necessary as daring to minister. 
You know, churches could do witnessing classes and do no witnessing ever. You got to dare to minister. You step out and the portion will be provided you. God will provide by his spirit. The crazy thing is, you know, yeah, I would just say when in obedience you step forward, God puts something in your hand to give back to him. Part of this wavering, a wave offering was also given to Aaron to eat. It was the portion of the priest that said. And, and this whole process of Aaron's consecration didn't begin with eating. It came, the eating came after coming to the door, after he was washed, after he was clothed, after he was anointed, after the shedding of blood for his atonement. But then the Lord says, from now on you eat. From now on, this is your portion perpetually before me. Eat. It's speaking of our relationship with the Lord. Uh, perpetually continue in your relationship with God. Come to him and eat and take in from his presence. Verse 29. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. I love this. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The very same clothes that Aaron was ordained in, his sons were to be ordained in. Later, when they took on this task as the high priest. Verse 30. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. And so these garments, all this stuff that's been done for, Moses, or for Aaron and the garments that have been placed on him, were to eventually be passed on to his son. And the son was to be consecrated in the same way that the father was consecrated in a ceremony that lasted seven days. We read this in a chapter and we think, wow, that was great. Or, or whatever. That would, that would be, this, was, this lasted for seven days. When you read Leviticus chapter 8, which tells us exactly how this went down, seven days this whole ceremony went on. A couple points of application from this. Your kids. My kids. I actually want to point this out specifically to dads this morning, to fathers. Your kids will inherit your character. Both the good and the bad. And if I want my kids to love Jesus, if I want my kids to love the word of God, if I want my kids to value prayer, if I want my kids to value the people of God, the, the church, then guess what? I need to be a person who values those things. If I want my kids to be honest people, to have an integrity, whatever it is, you know, whatever, I mean, our kids make choices for themselves. We know that. They get their own will. They'll make their own choices. But we have influence by what we pass on to them. And, and we need to cultivate godliness in our children. Because they're going to get my good and they're going to get my bad. And we need to cultivate godliness in them. The second thing I would point out from this though is this. At the same time that's happening, it's very clear here that each person needs their own personal encounter with the Lamb of God. Each person needs their own encounter with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, sins of the world. See, being Aaron's son was not enough. It, his boy needed to personally go through the same consecration of having his life set apart to the purposes of God that his father had gone through. You know, it's been said, God doesn't have grandchildren. 
He only has children. And your kids need to experience the same God that you've experienced and experience salvation like you experienced it. Their own personal encounter with the Lord. And so therefore, as a parent, how we cultivate our children matters. But at the end of the day, they'll make a decision for the, themselves, for the Lord or not. Verse 31. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in the holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. Kind of a picture of the Lord's Supper. But, at the, but an outsider shall not eat of them. I think Paul said the same thing. Because they are holy. And if any of the flesh, verse 34, for the ordination of the bread remain until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin, sin offering for atonement. And you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it and consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. We talked about this in the tabernacle. Outside of the tabernacle is this great bronze altar. Upon which these sacrifices were made. And during this ceremony of consecrating Aaron. In the midst of all that. To continue for seven days also was blood to be applied to the altar. Because the altar was being made holy. So there's sacrifices. There's eating happening. There's anointing happening of the altar. Like I said, this is not like some five minute thing. You're ordained. Often do it. I mean, this, this was a big ceremony. Aaron and his boys spent seven days. Not just going through these ceremonial things. But, but seeking the Lord. And what we see here is that it wasn't just the man himself, Aaron and his sons, that needed to be consecrated to the Lord. But also the whole way in which he was to do ministry. The whole process was to be consecrated. From the man to the altar, all of it was to be unto God. And I would say, you know, it's wise that, that we pray to the Lord and we say, God, you know, May I, may I be consecrated to you, but also may the way that my life ministers on your behalf, may that be consecrated to you as well. May the work of my hands, whatever it is. You know, I, I th we serve the Lord, we minister. And w I had this great conversation with somebody earlier this week and um, couple cool really cool conversations this week y you know it's so easy to to become a Martha and never be a Mary you know what I'm saying as I say that to be someone who works for the Lord and yet in doing so fails to sit at the feet of the Lord Martha and Mary these two sisters is this great picture of that in the scripture Mary sat at his feet Martha did the work our lives need to be both those natures and those those characters this one author said, I, I know some good people who are very busy indeed in the services of God and I'm delighted that they are. But I would caution them against working and never eating. 
They give up attending the means of grace as hearers because they have so much to do as workers. Aaron was to be consecrated as a man, but also in the work that he did. There was no separation between those two things. He needed to work and he needed to eat. Do you get that picture? How do we avoid the danger of just becoming workers for the Lord? We see that in this next part. Verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of hen of beaten oil and a fourth of hen of wine for drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and you shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma. A food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. He said every day perpetually from here on in Aaron and your son and his sons you are to offer in the morning a lamb and you are to offer in the evening a lamb. Day by day by day that's how it's to go. And I would, I would say this, you know, we need daily to sit at the master's feet to renew our affection for him. If I just work for the Lord and I never renew my affection, it, it starts to go sideways. We need to remind ourselves that our relationship with the Lord and our work for the Lord is all on the basis of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I identified myself with Jesus Christ when he died in my place. For my sin, he hung on the cross. And I can't ever forget it. You can't. When the church forgets that, the church is toast, man. The church is done. In Christ-centered living, we never graduate from our need for the work of the cross. Never. And every day I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and I need to contemplate him because his blood cleansed me of my sin. I need to remember it. I, I need to go to bed at night and to be thinking on the cross and not forget him. So important was the work of the sacrifice on behalf of those who identified with it that morning and evening God instituted the fact that they were to daily renew and relive this process of identifying with the animal that was sacrificed on their behalf for their atonement. For us, the Bible says, Christ died for sins once for all. He doesn't need to go back to the cross, ever. It's a fully comprehensive work. The work of the cross is so powerful. I mean, I just want to talk about the cross. The work of the cross is so powerful, my friends, that when Jesus stretched out his arms, it spanned all of history. When he outstretched his arms, Jesus reached back into all of antiquity and he reached forward into all of the future, everything that is to come. And he laid down his life for the sin of mankind. You know, there is nothing greater than the capacity of the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he said, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, how wide did those arms stretch for you and me? And daily, just like Aaron, morning and evening, you know, we, we need to begin our day with a fresh sense of being with Jesus and having Jesus with us and in us. A morning quiet time. You need it. I need my morning quiet time. You need your time with Jesus, time in the word and a little bit of prayer. You know, maybe at night, it's as simple as a devotional, a little devotional book to take some time to read and to reflect and to pray before God before your head hits the pillow. But I'm gonna tell you this, when you bookend your days with Jesus, he seems to have this way of filling the in-between with his presence. You could say, well, I talk, you know, I talk to the Lord all day long. I talk to him about stuff all the time. I, I think about my relationship with Lisa. You know, Lisa and I touch base throughout the day all day long. You know, she texts me, I text her, we call, we check in. Oh, this has happened, oh, that's happened, this is going on, that's going on. There's quantity. But in our marriage, there needs to be quality. You know, one of the things that we love to do is go for a walk on a Monday morning and we spend time together and we have quality time. Or if I can, if that's for me, I'm busy. Or, you know, you come home and at the end of the day, sit on the couch and we talk. We have some quality time. And the same is true with the Lord. You know, I need to, to be in touch and base with the Lord all day long. I, I need Jesus to freshly occupy this heart, but I need the quality time of my life being bookended with Jesus every day. We need that. Verse 44 says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. God says that when this happens in your life, there will be a great sense of assurance. What a wonderful thing. He says you will know. You will know that I am your God. You will know that I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. When, when your life looks like this and you just come to me and you let me clothe you and you let me wash you and you let me apply the blood to you and you identify yourself with my son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you. I, I'll put an offering in your hand and you'll serve me with it. When you get up in the morning and you spend time with Jesus and you close your day with Jesus, you will know Pastor Joel from Calgary He's trying to FaceTime me right now <laughs> on my iPad. Should I answer? And we can all talk to him? Punk. <laughs> they have a later afternoon service. They rent a church, and so they meet at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Calgary time, with their church. Anyways, that's awesome. 
That'll give us a good laugh. He's texting me now. I'm sorry. I do not normally get that. Okay. You want to know what he asked me? He's asking for a sermon illustration. Anyways. Oh, my goodness. That is so funny. Okay. Anyways, lots of you guys know Joel. He's been here and visited with us. We've, I've done two Israel trips. He's a very good. He was one of my really good buddies. Uh, where was I? I have no idea. One of the things we've been reminded of in our studies through Exodus is this, I mean, especially recently, is that God was seeking a dwelling place amongst his people. Oh yeah, I remember where I was. A dwelling place among his people. I pointed this out over the last number of weeks. If that's Joel, George, (laughs) tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. God was seeking a dwelling place amongst his people and he wants to dwell with you, in you, live with you and have relationship with you. And when our lives look like what we see from Aaron and his sons, there's this great sense of assurance. You can't really, uh, I, I don't know how you define assurance. You got it or you don't. You know that 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 you know, or you don't know. That's how it is. And I want to know that I know that I know that I know, and I want you to know that you know that you know. And that happens as we come to Jesus every day, spending time with him, and these things are happening in our lives as well. See, the the place where the Lord just said to them in this last few verses, he said, the place where I will meet with my people is at the altar. I will meet them where the sacrifice is offered. The place where the blood was spilled for the atonement of their sin will be the place where I will meet with my people. If you think about it, there could be no other place, right? There could be no other place to meet God than at the altar where the sacrifice was made. Tell Joel I've had enough. I've had enough. (laughs) There could be no other place. I mean, even right now, Jesus Christ forms the one meeting place between God and man. He's the entrance. He's the door. There is no other way to get to God than through Jesus Christ. God cannot be approached except on the ground uh, of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross for my sin and for your sin. You know, I had an interesting discussion this week on theology. It, It was out there. And I was talking with someone from another church and they talked about their belief in inclusiveness and how they preached a gospel that was inclusive and, and all was welcome, whether, whether you wanted to have the teachings of Allah or the teachings of Buddha. But they said, this is what I've observed, though, in this message of inclusiveness that we preach. There's an irony to it. And the irony is this. 
in my desire to be inclusive, there's a certain group that I've excluded. And it's people who are conservative Christians. That's the term they use. People that are conservative Christians. Because they believe Jesus is the only way. I thought, oh God, where, where do I go with this conversation? Put something in my hands, Lord. Please help me. My response was to say this. I said, Jesus preached an inclusive message. It's just that he said he was the exclusive source for salvation. It was open to all. But exclusively through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's an inclusive message for all. It's just that Jesus claimed to be the exclusive sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Verse 45, we'll wrap it up here. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Again, verse 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You know, I think what an awesome thing it is to meet with God, to know God, to know that he is our God. You know, when we as God's people gather together and we worship and we allow our minds to go to the cross and we focus on the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us and when we sing about the excellency and the greatness of Jesus Christ, uh, our hearts are filled there's an outstanding blessing that comes with the awesomeness of Jesus when we sacrifice to him the sacrifice of praise and we focus our lives on him. What a blessing to know Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Look, in your heart to serve God, it was never about what you could do or what you could offer Jesus. It was always about what he's done for you. And so this morning, uh, we're, we're going to sing. I invite Blake and Sydney to come join me up here, Emmanuel. And they're going to sing a, a song that might be new.